Hello and welcome to the Christian Women in Business podcast show. We are an online community of Christian women in business and we are aligning our businesses with God. I'm your host, Sarah Jane Neeson, and I wanted to create a platform where women can come to be inspired, to learn from women who have been there and done that, and know what it's really like to run a business as a Christian and what it means to them. I would love for you to join us as we get into the meat of the word share the love of God, and grow our businesses like never before. For more information about becoming a member, visit our website, www.christianwomeninbusiness.com.au. Looking forward to sharing these podcasts with you and helping you to grow as a leader and a business owner like never before. Hello, lovies, and welcome to this week's podcast show. I hope you are well wherever you are in the world and your business is treating you good. Um, So today we have a lady on the show who is a motivational keynote speaker, a trainer revealing the guilt from the faith-based businesswoman by linking faith and business. Her organization is called Grow From Your Overflow. She is a development strategist and that connects you to a professional, personal and spiritual growth opportunities through speaking, workshops, online courses, plus one-on-one consulting and coaching. Some areas of her expertise include developing goals, writing action steps and time management, as well as personal areas such as developing new habits, procrastination and presentation skills. She waves everything she does with faith and has created the personalised faith plan for your success in faith business. Her background in education mixed with her experience in drama gives her a unique speaking style that has truly a hands-on experience. By linking it all to her faith, she has combined all the best parts of her life to give back and serve in others. Welcome to the podcast show, Deneen TV. How are you going? Oh, thank you so much. That's such a long introduction. I need to like cut that down somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always like I read them out and people are like, oh, when you actually read that out, it's actually quite a mouthful. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> That happens when a lot of us are just multi-passionate entrepreneurs. We just have all of these things that we kind of want to roll together. So it comes out really long. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's cool. So where are you calling us from today, Denise? I live outside of Met in Detroit, Michigan. So I live in what's called Metro Detroit. I live right where they build all of Chrysler and Ford vehicles. That's awesome. And is so it would be coming to... Is it what you guys call fall? Or? Well, we're still finishing up summer, so um, the end of August, we still have long days, and but it's been pretty cool today, and not usually that way in August. Usually, it's pretty like dog day hot in August, but not this year. We have a festival in my town this year. The high school, local high school, are the dragons, so we have the dragons on the lake, and there's lots of like kayak racing and, and all of those different kinds of things for the festival, so that's happening this weekend, so I hope it warms up a little bit for everyone. that's cool that's so awesome so you've had quite a story leading up to where you are in your business now it's quite inspiring so why don't you start and tell us a little bit about 
your story and how you came to do all the awesome things that you're doing today. Okay, well, you know, I could start back at the way beginning, but I'll start with I got an education degree, so I was a teacher for about 10 years, and I decided that I didn't want to be full-time teaching anymore. I had young children, so I decided to turn that into my first business. So I taught Spanish because I was an elementary teacher, but I speak Spanish because I met my husband in South America and I taught there. So I brought him back to the United States. And so I said, oh, that would be great. That's a great thing. People want to learn Spanish, especially in this country. It's one of the biggest second languages that people learn. And so I started doing that because it was what I knew to do. And I did that for a number of years. And I, meanwhile, also decided to homeschool my own children. So I started teaching Spanish to other homeschoolers and things like that. And uh, during that time, I decided maybe I should also go to graduate school. You know, I have a six and a 10-year-old, and I'm teaching them at home. Why not go to graduate school, too? I was really young, I guess, <laughs> lots of energy or something, because I can't, I can't, I look back going at that time going, I was really busy. I don't know why I thought I could continue to do this. So I went to, went to, to graduate school and in the middle of graduate school, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and the, it happened over a July 4th weekend and um, July 4th here of if you don't know, is our huge independent celebration. And I was doing a puppet show, of all things. I was doing a puppet show down in the park because we were going to have vacation Bible school at my church, and I was kind of, you know, letting the kids know when it was going to be and all of those things. And what happened was I I got like a massive headache. It was like a train came through the back of my head, and it was just crippling through my neck and my headache and all of these things. I actually thought I had heat stroke, and I so I went and laid down. And throughout the next couple of weeks, I couldn't get rid of the headache. I had some other symptoms that started happening, and one of them that was really bad was extreme fatigue, like. You want to lay down on the floor and you don't even want to lift your arm kind of fatigue. Yeah. And yeah. Is this all part of the... The MS. Mm-hmm. The MS. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, just quickly explain to the listeners what MS is just in case they're, oh. they're not sure. Okay. Multiple sclerosis is a... It's actually an autoimmune disease where your own self, your own cells, your body starts attacking itself. And what it attacks is the myelin sheath, which is the, the protection of your nerves that help to transmit signals from your brain down your spinal cord so that you can move your hand or you can wiggle your toes or any of the uh, of the things you do to move your body. Yeah. And so what happens is it, it interrupts those transmissions. And so even though it can be repaired after the initial attack, it's never going to be the same. So a lot of times people who have multiple sclerosis, they you may see them in wheelchairs, you may see them walking with a cane, they may have numbness, and they don't feel parts of their body and things like that. So this particular day, you got a headache, mm -hmm. which is not a typical symptom. And so the fact that I was diagnosed with it was through the MRI that they gave me. And for three months, and I can tell you like almost to the day when this, what they call an exacerbation is over. So for th about three months into, so all of um, August, rest of July, August, September, and into October, I had extreme fatigue. Now, 
I'm still teaching my Spanish classes. I'm still going to graduate school. I still have my two girls every day with me. And I remember laying on the ground, like in my front room, uh, teaching the girls. They would like just be on the floor around me while I was teaching. And I remember like going to take them to Spanish, uh, to piano lessons and just like laying down at the church I was at on the pew. And I remember, you know, at dance class, I would like lay in the car while they, so I was always resting whenever I could rest because I was extremely tired. I had great friends at my church at that time. They came in, they brought us meals. They came and cleaned my house and did those kinds of things for us. And it was a time that for me, that I just didn't understand what was going on. You know, I, I was, you know, a young, I wasn't that young, I guess. 38 is not that young, but my kids were young. And oh, it's still young. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I remember thinking, well, you know, God, I, I feel like there's, you have so much for me to do and, and I have all these responsibilities and I'm, I want to have a good life for my children and I don't understand this. And I really went through that first year of having MS. It was a really dark time for me in my faith walk because I was going to a church where I got, they were nice to me and they did all these things for me, but I got a lot of platitudes about um, the struggle I was having in my faith life in the fact that mm. I should just pray more or I should just read more or something like that. And I was very, I know you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So, so I was really struggling and my father grew up in the Quaker tradition. So I was started reading some Quaker books. And one of the things that I found was that God does this hiding. It's almost like a hiding. You feel like he's gone behind the clouds and you can't find him. And that was exactly the feeling that I had. I had the feeling that God had disappeared from from somewhere and I couldn't find him and I couldn't get him to pay attention to me. And I realized that through reading the, the literature that it was the fact that God does those things in order for you to seek him even more. So for me, it was definitely that time of crying out to God and saying, where are you? I don't get this. I don't get this. So one of the first things I did after reading and saying, okay, if that's what it means, if it means that he's hiding so that I will seek him more, I'm going to start by having gratitude every morning. So I would wake up, literally wake up because with MS, and this is probably, I should back up and say this with MS, you could wake up one morning and be paralyzed from the neck down. So I had to stop reading all those stories on the internet about how the people used to, oh, one day I used to climb mountains and the next day I couldn't go to my mailbox. And I'm like, okay, got to stop so, this because yeah. I, I spent months not being able to it's see. It's going to freak yourself out. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was on I was on medication to go to sleep. I was really bad. And all the time I didn't know where God was in all this. But I started to go, okay, I'm going to just have gratitude. So when I would wake up in the morning, I would sit up, I would swing my legs over the side of the bed and I would be like, thank you that I can move. Thank you that I am able to get out of bed and take care of my family today. And that's where it just started. It started with that small prayer every day saying, thank you that I can actually get out of bed. So that was the, the start of continuing to really dig in. I did dig into God's word and really dig into my relationship with him. And I always tell people that 
when I was, before this happened to me, I really thought that I depended on God, but it wasn't until this happened to me that I really understood what it meant to depend on God. It's just, there's no other way to explain it. So I have to tell you from that point on, it's been 15 years since I was diagnosed. I have not had another exacerbation like that one in the 15 years. I have traveled with mission trips to Ecuador numerous times to Mexico because I'm a Spanish speaker. I go on a lot of trips as a translator. Let's go to Spain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it's like I've, I've been protected. Everything that God has called me in to do or that I felt that I've been led to do, I've had the stamina to do it. I've had all the things. Now I have symptoms and I have clear ways of taking care of myself, but if you were to see me, I do not have a limp. I do not have any outward signs that you would even know that I had MS. And so I um, I thank God for that because he obviously has a lot for me to do still. Yeah. <laughs> I always say, you know, if I can't move, then I'll have to figure out what the next thing is that God wants me to do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, bless you. So anyway, so, so moving past all of that time in my life, I want to say that we did, from going on the mission trips, we did consider going to the mission field ourselves, my husband and I, and and that's a whole other story in and of itself, because I'll be married 29 years this year, and I spent 12 years of that, the first part of my wow. marriage, with my husband not being a believer. So that's a whole another part of my story, and and thinking that I had missed the boat, so to speak, on going and being a missionary. But God has the way he brings things into your life. It's not always exactly how you expect it to be. So I've learned to go with the twists and turns of the expectations that I thought they were into the more beautiful thing that he creates for it. So we were, we were training to be missionaries for a while. I was still homeschooling. My girls were getting older. I have two daughters and they were getting older and my oldest one was getting ready to go to college. And so I hadn't worked for a couple of years. I had stopped teaching so we could train and all of those things. And, um, I really was like, I really want to contribute to her college. Not that I can contribute thousands of dollars for tuition, but I wanted to be able to send her money for books or send her money so she could go out to the movies or whatever it was going to be. And so I decided that I said, oh, I know how to teach. I'll go back to school. So I tried to go back into the school system. And I realized after about 10 years of being away that my idea of education and what the public school system here does is very different. And I lasted, uh, I lasted two weeks at that job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I was exhausted. I was, it was another thing of, of not, of knowing what my body could take and no exhausted. It's totally exhausted. So I remember going, driving home. I mean, I actually quit. I said, I'm not coming back. It was Friday. I said, I'm not coming back Monday. I'm sorry. And I was driving home that day and I was actually crying because I was so tired and I was just, I was yelling out to God. I mean, I don't know about you, but I do a lot of prayers and out loud in the car. (laughs) And so (laughs) driving and it was almost like I could audibly hear God say to me, he said, well, your sister does this direct selling company. You should do that. And I literally said, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and and that was September. And it took me until January fighting with God to 
finally sign up for that. And it was a direct selling company that sells Christian products. And I actually, that was my first foray into what an actual business environment was like. And so when I throw myself into things, I throw myself into them. So I started to learn everything I could about business. And I that's why I do the goals and the strategies and all of those things now, because I needed to learn how to be the best at this. If I was going to do it and God was going to call me to do it, I wanted to do it well. So I feel like I got an MBA almost because I've read so many things, gone to so many conferences and seminars and everything like that. You know, I might as well have gotten another master's. So it was it was great, though, because here, instead of working with teenagers and children, which I had done with most of my professional life, I was dealing with women. And I really liked the business minds of these women. And I really started to fall in love with with women. And I didn't know that I actually liked women. So that was really a revelation for me that God was putting me in a place where I thought was going to be really difficult. And it was something I fell in love with. And, and I rose in the company to be the highest leader here in my state of all the states that have it. So I did really well with that. And uh, so I was one of those people that was always trying to think of how can I have more sales? How can I have more sales? So I um, selfishly decided that I needed to find women, other business women that could actually not have to ask their husband for money when they were at my parties <laughs> to buy my products. So I would get the, the wife, you know, we'd have this party and I'd show all of my beautiful products for the home. And they were all things for your table and for home decor. And they were all beautiful messages from scripture. Yeah. And why wouldn't you want this in your home, right? But they would always say, well, I'll have to call my husband because I don't know if I can spend money on this $40 item. And so I was like, I got to find some women that can just open up their own purses and have their own money. So I decided to start a networking group for Christian business women. And, <laughs> and really, God said, these are the women I want you to serve. These women that have these other businesses, they're not involved as your customers or your clients. They're people that you're going to serve. So I started doing the networking group, and that was about five years ago. I started in direct sales. That would be 2010, and I did that for six years. And so they kind of overlapped, but now I've, I'm out of direct sales and just doing this networking group and really being able to pour into these women. I've been listening to their hearts for five years now and five plus years and really understanding how much guilt they feel as people in the marketplace because their preconceived ideas or their their thoughts are that they need to be volunteering at church all the time as a believer, or they need to go to that church-sponsored activity, or they need to show up for the the helping day that the church is sponsored. And I'm really trying to like slough it off their back and say, you know, God has you in the marketplace for a reason, and he has a you in your business for a reason, and we're going to Bring these two together, connect your faith and business so you see that as your service to God. So yes, you are part of your church community, but that's not your primary place of service. And that's what I'm trying to bring together now. And I do that, like you like you read, through consulting and, and doing all of those things. I really do connect the faith and business because I know, I know about social media. So I help those women get 
their platforms onto social media, their businesses onto social media. I help them with their goal setting so that they can really move forward in their businesses as well as give them that faith side because I think that's the first thing to make God their, his, the, the CEO of their not only their life but their business and bring everything to him. So did I miss anything? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Well, along with that, I believe you have been doing some research in the Bible as well, and you're bringing out a book all about, was it the 11 women in the Bible, business women in the Bible? There are 11 business women in the Bible, and then the 12th one is our Proverbs 31 woman, and I don't believe she's a single woman, and I'm showing how each of the prior 11 all exemplify her in different ways so that the person who's reading it can also see herself in the Proverbs 31 woman. And so we thought it would be cool to actually go through some of these women on today's podcast. Um, now that Denine's kind of shared her story with you and, you know, you can see that God's managed to use her in some awesome ways in business. And like he wants to be able to use you as well and help you in your business. We thought we'd give you some encouragement by sharing with you some of the women from the Bible and how they're kind of embracing, or have, <laughs> it's history, how they've embraced their business. <laughs> you read it like it's all relevant today. But yeah, so I asked Denine if she could pick some women that we'd like to chat about today, and she did. So we will go through them one by one, and we're going to start at the beginning. So let's chat first about Eve. Okay. Well, I want to say that each of the women has a principle that you can apply to your business. So what's really great is that we think we know in business, every business book, there's a principle of this is what you should do in your business. So every woman has something attached to her and connected to her. And because they are, like you said, history, we have to remember that they are in their culture. They were born at that time for that generation to do what God specifically called them to do and that we're the same way and that there are examples because they did it in their culture. We can do it in our culture. So I just wanted to preface that first, but I wanted to, yeah, say, no, that's cool. I wanted to talk about yeah. Eve. Eve, and I always like to start here with Eve because Eve's principle is that God has a plan for my business. And she is really the, the beginning of everything, obviously, but she's kind of our, our role model in that she didn't have any helpers. She didn't have anybody to, um, she didn't have a book to read like we do. She didn't have a mentor to go after. She didn't have even a grandmother or mother to, she had to do everything with her husband and God. I mean, she had that direct download, but she was really designed to be what's called an easer, E-Z-E-R, and that means helper. And that was she, what she was designed to do. She was designed to help Adam tend the garden. She was to be able to provide food, to provide how the, the actually he, I, he had already named all the animals, so she didn't get to do that kind of part. I always call that the intellectual work. But she was designed to really be that come alongside and help. And yes, as the centuries wore on, we became more of female roles and male roles, but she was designed to do whatever was needed to help Adam do what God had commanded them to do. So I want to just always, you know, emphasize that it's not about, it's not about you do your work 
separate from what God wants you to do. And I remember when I was writing this, my oldest daughter, um, she was kind of doing some editing for me. And she, after she read through the piece, and she said, I never realized this, Mom. And I said, what did you not realize? She goes, I thought I did my job so that I could give money to the church or go on a mission trip or save money to do this or that for God. She goes, but God's expecting me to show up in my job and in my work representing him. That's what you just said, because that's what Eve was supposed to do. So it was a it was an aha moment for her. And I thought that that was really, really great um, that she got it. And I was like, that's what I wanted you to understand. So I'm glad I said that, you know, I'm glad I really did that because God really does have a plan. If he's put that business vision in your heart, if he had given is giving you that pull to do something, whether it's whether it's part of a part-time position of staying at home with your children and and doing something else, or if it's something full-blown that he is going to incorporate your whole family into it, that you were created for whatever he's giving you. And I think a lot of times we let our culture, we let society, we let the culture, not the culture of just we can even have the culture of the church to dictate what we think we ought to do, what we think we should do. And, and Eve really shows us that God has called us to do something that we need to honor it. And we need to go for that with him. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And it, and it like, so you go from, okay, we're in the garden, God made man out of man, he made a woman. And then, you know, they ate from the tree. It all went bad. But God commanded them to go out in the field and work after that as well. So not only did Eve have to help kind of beforehand, it Mm -hmm. was like, okay, once they'd eaten the apple and everything kind of went downhill, you know, God was like, now you're going to go into the fields and you're going to work. So life didn't get Mm -hmm. any easier for Mm -hmm. Eve. She was right there with her partner and her husband, Adam. Mm -hmm. Then making babies a lot of babies yep. <laughs> <Might I> <laughs> true true and she was out literally in the fields without a tractor and you know whatever it is that we have today working the land so she could feed the massive tribe that she was giving birth to exactly i wonder how many babies she did end up having yeah i wonder sometimes as well because the bible is back and forth with you know they had, you know, Cain and Abel, and then they talk about Seth after Cain kills Abel, but we don't know if she had the daughters, and then the the daughter, the sons of God saw the daughters of man, and there's just so many things that theology-wise I could go into, but it might get boring. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. It was just a thought that came to my head. Right. I'm thinking, Actually, yeah, she's stood there in the field giving birth to all these babies at the same time. Like she's doing all this hard work while exactly, she's pregnant. The poor exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and what and what I talk about in in the book is pre-fall. So it's before the fall that God has mandated them to care for the garden, to care for the animals. And when everything is perfect, they're still mandated to work. And and I can just imagine them in the cool of the day. You know, they had access to God. He came and visited them every day. That they could talk about what they did. For their work, they could yeah. talk about you know what was blooming. They could talk about what fruit had come and what the animals had. You know, maybe there was a new fawn or whatever. And so they got this like so just a special way to be able to share their work in a way 
that we can't with God right now because of the fall. So they just had something very sweet that, you know, we'll get in the new Jerusalem, maybe <laughs> when we get the thousand years of rain, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and thank the Lord for Jesus so we can have contact with him now. Exactly. So the next person you wanted to talk about was Esther. Yeah. So this is quite sure. an interesting story of Esther. Oh, yeah. Did you want to share the story of kind of give some context to? Okay. Okay. So the principle for this one is that I am called to the marketplace. So Esther, Esther is an orphan in Persia but she's Jewish. And so she's been raised by her um, cousin Mordecai, who is kind of more of an uncle figure to her because he's much older than her. And he has access to the, the palace. And so he's one of the advisors in the palace. And, but she, she's hanging out in Persia. And what I, what I say in the book is that I talk about the fact that Esther is so beautiful that she probably is trying to blend into her culture too, because, you know, Mordecai doesn't have her say that she is Jewish. So she's beautiful. She probably knows the Farsi language as well as she knows her Hebrew language. I'm sure all the girls are jealous of her. All the guys kind of watch her walk around, you know, that kind of thing. If you put it in a more modern terms, but you know, she is an orphan. So I think that she, might be a little street smarts too, you know, that abandonment issues. And we can go into a lot of psychology with her as well. (laughs) But as you know, the king, the queen Vashti decides that she doesn't want to come before the queen, before the king. And so the king says, well, you're not going to be the queen anymore. Get out of here. And he banishes queen Vashti. So then they have this basically a beauty contest (laughs) for all, all of the women in the town need to come and present themselves. And so she is taken up because, of course, she's of that age and she's beautiful. And then it says that they spend a year beautifying themselves. So I, it's, I can imagine, oh, they're getting oil treatments, they're getting massages, <laughs> you know, they're getting, they're getting perfumed every day, baths and facials and then I think about the other side of this coin is they probably had to eat a really strict diet they probably had to do cardio (laughs) they probably had to do all the stuff that we don't want to do to make ourselves look really really good and this and and the it wasn't like you created a resume no what you were going to do is you were going to go in for the evening with the king and basically have relations with him and if he liked you good and if he didn't like you you go to the harem so that was kind of your interview that was the interview it wasn't a question question and answer interview (laughs) but Esther's smart and she becomes friends with the the head attendant and he tells her everything she needs to do to win over Xerxes heart and she becomes queen so Later on, a few years pass, and we don't hear anything about Esther, and we don't even know if she ended up having children. The Bible doesn't tell us that or anything like that, but a new aide has come with the king, and he doesn't like her her cousin Mordecai, and he actually hates him. And so he, he devises a scheme, a plan to really to get him out of there, to get Mordecai out of there by putting an edict against all the Jews that they would be killed. So Mordecai goes to Esther, who 
obviously is Jewish and says, you need to fix this. You need to help us. You need to. And all this time he's been telling her the opposite. He's been telling her, don't reveal who you are. You know, we sometimes hide in our culture too, but God is really asking us to step forward, step up and be who he's called us to be and to sometimes verbalize that. But what I really love about Esther's story is that she gets her her team, her maidservants, I always say, she gets her like closest advisors, her team to pray. And she asks the whole nation to pray. So for three days they pray. So so the first thing she does is not to go, oh, let me put my pros and my cons in a list. She doesn't go and try to do anything on her own. She goes directly to the source and says, God, what are we, you know, let us do this. So then of course, God gives her a brilliant idea and she has a banquet with Haman and Xerxes, Haman's the the mean guy, and she does it for three nights. She doesn't even, so she's, she does this whole thing about curiosity and it's kind of like what we do in our marketplace, right? We don't give all of the information. We want to draw people in. We want to get them to be really excited about what we have to say. So for three nights, she serves a banquet and says, come back tomorrow and I'll tell you what I want. And I mean, the, the king is like ready to give her half the kingdom. He is like so enthralled with her. And so we, we love this. We love this because, you know, she, she, she had to go and ask for that appearance to have him come to the banquet. And she wasn't sure that she was in that great of favor with him. And so she was really putting her, her life at risk. But I think those three days of prayer from the nation really gave her that hedge of protection, as we call it today, to really go and go before the king and say, I would like you to come to dinner because she really didn't know where she stood with him at this point. So, so I, you know, the, the story is, is that she reveals herself and she says she's a Jew and she cannot, they cannot reverse the edict that the Jews are to be killed, but they do change the edict that they are allowed to defend themselves. They're allowed to fight back. So that's how she kind of, excuse me, protects them in all of that. And I know that I call her royalty because she was royalty, but that we're called to the marketplace. And we're called also royal kings and priests in um, First Peter. And so us in the marketplace, we're called the same way. And part of what the priestly duties are, are to sacrifice and to proclaim. And so she sacrificed her own safety to have that audience with the king. And she proclaimed that she was Jewish so that she could really... To help her people. And then a king, if we think about what a king does, they provide and they protect. And she really did protect her people. And she really did provide the opportunity for the Jews to to help. And and we're the same way in First Peter chapter two, especially, it talks about that and how doing these things, providing for our employees or providing for our family or protecting people in our sphere of influence, that's all part of our duty as a believer in Jesus, specifically when we're in business. So I think that that's beautiful, the beautiful part about her story and how it relates to us today in the marketplace. Because really, the palace was a political marketplace. I mean, there was a polit- all polit- politics in a palace, just like in government. that's cool um I guess what I learned from Esther when I was doing my research into her um also is God puts us in the marketplace at a certain time 
to do certain things. So, like, he placed her in the right time, in the right place, with her beauty, knowing that she was going to make a difference for her people. Like, that wasn't by accident. And so I kind of think God is putting you, like you've mentioned before, exactly where he needs you in today's society with who you are in your business for a reason. And like you said, he's given you your dream and your passion for a reason. Mm -hmm. And even though we can't see it yet, like Esther knew that Mm -hmm. she was beautiful and, you know, she managed to get him the king. It didn't take her to realize it on herself, but she had someone kind of push her and go, you know, God's kind of put you in this position for a reason. Now go and use your power. And that's exactly what he's doing with you. You might not know what that is yet. And, you know, it might take you a couple of years or whatever until you realize it. But just by being in your business and being where you are today, you are exactly where God needs you to be. And the influence that you might be able to have being a royal daughter of God is something that's awesome. And, you know, it's something we should all embrace, something that we should all be proud of and know that actually I'm in this business for God. He's got this reason, whatever it is, I might not know it now, but I'm going to do my best to bring the best influence that I can for whoever needs it. So it's just really encouraging. And like you said, the first thing that she does before she does anything is she fasts and she prays with her people. And so in your business, if you're going through something you're not sure about or, you know, mm-hmm. God's mm-hmm. asked you to do something that's the time of you having your influence, go to him first and do that prayer and do that fasting. And through your obedience, you can save others from suffering. So what mm-hmm. you're doing now, even though you might not see it yet, might stop people from enduring suffering, which is really cool we want to stop people from from suffering and you know even though it might not be in your day-to-day business you know you've got a a flow on and ripple effect for what you do so thank you for sharing about Esther and then the last person we wanted to talk about today hang on okay no we've got Lydia next sorry I was going to move on to Priscilla but I miss Lydia oh that's okay um and and the thing is is that what you were saying is so true where we are today in our business does not mean that's where God's going to have us tomorrow um that's what I've understood about me I've I've been um I'm 53 now so when I turned 50 I was finished homeschooling because now my daughters are in college and beyond and God has really asked me do I trust him enough to take the next step so I didn't know I was not going to be in direct sales forever. And he asked me to take the next step into the networking group for Christian businesswomen. And now he's having me take a next step into writing this book and creating a really a calling clarity course with retreats and things. So it's, it's, it's always an exciting adventure and that's what I love about it. And that's why I love Lydia too, because she's my, she's my sassy girl. I love <laughs> Lydia because Lydia, Lydia was already a believer in God. When we meet her, when Paul meets her, she was down by the river praising and worshiping God on a Sabbath. Mm. And they were down there because there weren't enough Jewish men in that town to actually um, have a synagogue. So I think you need 10 men or something like that, 10 family men. And so the women were there. And so she was probably just like remembering the parts of scripture that she had memorized we don't know exactly how she became a believer in God, but we do know that she was 
excuse me, what they call a proselytite. So she was one who had converted to Judaism. So she meets Paul. And I love the fact that she's down by the river worshiping because that's exactly where she was every single day doing her job. So she really combined her work and and her faith and her work because in order to do the purple dye, which is what she's known for, it's the purple cloth, there were two processes. One was the the designer process, and one was the knockoff process. But both (laughs) both of those processes... Um, required lots and lots of water. Um, the the designer type was there was a snail that gave an ink that they would use, and they would actually have to use urine, so it would smell a lot. So they used a lot of water too. And then the other one was plant based. The knockoff was a plant based purple. So. She had lots of different kinds of customers, lots of different kinds of clients, and she really had to play the part. So if you have a very rich client, you have to dress that part. You can't be dressing like a slob in front of them, right? And so everyone everyone wants that that purple royal fabric. So I see her as being very flamboyant. I see her being just, you know, very much having a great influence over everyone and using her personality to go back and forth between these two types of customers. So her principle is that I have a unique influence in the marketplace because each one of us does. And so Lydia really exemplifies that for us. Um, I love the fact that she's the head of her household when Paul comes and tells her about Jesus and she accepts Jesus, she invites them back to her house and everyone in her household gets saved and knows about Jesus and the church actually starts in her home. So she is never apologizing for making money, which I know some Christian women can say, well, this business is just my ministry. I'm not really in it to make money. Well, if we're in business, <laughs> it's because we're, money. we're making money. So let's not, let's embrace it. And that's what I think Lydia does. She never apologizes for making money. Her money helped to found the church in, in her town. So I think that we need to remember that it's okay that some of us are introverts and quiet and we do our things that way. And others of us are flamboyant and boisterous and, and that God uses all of our personalities. He never asks us to change our personalities. And if we had time to talk about Martha, I would talk all about the fact that she was beautiful and never had to change from being Martha. But <laughs> Lydia is the same way. She, he never asks us to change our personalities and we don't have to be a certain way to represent him yeah. in the marketplace or in our homes. And uh, I guess what I, I completely agree with what you just said. And what I loved most about Lydia was the fact that, and you were mentioning about how we feel guilty about making money and, you know, the sorrow story of I'm just in business and it's my ministry. Um, and that is a whole topic in itself. <laughs> yes. But what I do love is, you know, because she was so entrepreneurial and because she was so money-minded, she had a massive house that she could keep people in there and look after them while they were doing ministry. Like, that just does it for me. I'm like, this girl is a girl after my own heart. Like, let's make some cash, 
let's build resources that can house people in ministry, you know, that their main focus isn't making money. And that's why God needs us to make money because he's got his people out there doing their thing and they're not mm-hmm. they're not gifted with entrepreneurial business skills. They're gifted with, you know, evangelism and whatever it is that they're gifted with, but God needs us in business to be the ones supporting them and providing resources and you know, having a house big enough so you can house disciples in it of today's world or, you know, whatever it is that's needed is such a cool thing to do and such a cool thing to have. You know, we have blessings so we can bless others. Um, and I just love yes. that she's such a fine example of that. And just, you know, she's switched on, man. She's like, what do people love? They love purple um, garments, What does Mm -hmm. she do? She Mm -hmm. becomes the main provider, or you don't know if she's the main provider, but she provides and becomes like a merchant that makes this amazing cloth. It's just cool. She's a cool kid. (laughs) I think she's... Yeah, I think she's the fashion yeah, mogul of seriously. her town, actually. I, I, I think she is. I think that, that she is because everybody came to her for the fabric that was the most popular. So she had the yeah. latest trends. She had to know the latest yeah. styles. She knew what yeah. people wanted. She knew her customers. And I think that because she is a believer and she had opportunity to speak into people's lives, not only being able to provide for people that are n- not you know business-minded in ministry, but as a a believer in herself, and I will talk a little bit about that also with Priscilla, that she had opportunity to talk about Jesus and and pray for the people that she met every day that weren't believers. And that's what we have because we have the Great Commission in the end of Matthew, and Jesus says, go into all the world. Well, your go is your workplace every day. Yeah. That's your go. What are you doing? You know, and you can't depend on the pastors, and you can't depend on, on the missionaries. You have, God has, the people in front of you may never see a missionary. They may never walk into a church. They have you. Um, I think it's D.L. Moody that said, um, of 100 people, um, Nine, you know, of ninety-nine, one will read the Bible. Ninety-nine will read the Christian. So that's what we have going for us in the marketplace: is people seeing our integrity, people seeing our patience, or people seeing how we do things and how we treat people, so that they we have that great aroma, and they say, "What's different about you? Why are you so like this and not like the other people I'm around?" What makes you different? And that gives you your opportunity to speak. Hopefully you get that opportunity. <laughs> Be praying for more if you mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> exactly. So that leaves us on, leads us on to, uh, this is our last lady to uh-huh. talk about yes. today. So that is Priscilla. Yes, Priscilla. Oh, Priscilla, Priscilla. Well, Priscilla's principle is <laughs> I serve God and others by developing relationships in the marketplace. So part of having a business is you need relationships. And we are relationship marketers now. We are not just wham, bam, go throw my stuff out there and the customers will come. We're all about building relationships. I do it when I teach people about how to use LinkedIn. I talk about that. How do we build relationships? But we have to remember that Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, were um, were partners with Paul. And Paul, of course, is the great missionary of the Bible. And so they traveled with Paul and they did the same profession. So they they 
they made tents. And so if you look up the background of tent making, they also say that that means that they probably made leather goods. So they do a lot of stuff. Half the, t half the time in the Bible when Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned, because they're always mentioned together, half of the time sh her name is first and half the time his name is first. And most of the time it's her name is first like towards the end of when after we've met them for a long time. When Paul says, and give my greetings to, it's always Priscilla first. So I have to believe that Priscilla was the outgoing one of the couple. You know how mm. opposites attract. Yeah. So I see her as kind of the front of the of the store kind of person. And Aquila being the, I'm just going to sit here and mend this tent kind of part of the business. <laughs> and yeah. so I see her as um, a relation, you know, really developing relationships. One with Paul and other believers because we need those relationships in business as Christians. We need to have other Christians that we come to for support and encouragement and that's part of what I do with the networking group. That's what you're doing with your meetups. That is what you do, right? That's part of it. Then we have our other relationships. We have the relationships that we're reaching out to people who are not believers, the people in our sphere of influence that we see every day. I went to evangelism uh, conference in early June, and I was in the workplace track. And what they talked about a lot was having your five. So who are the five people that you are praying for that you come in contact with? every day or every week, you know, it might be in networking meeting, it might be in your office, it might be, you know, through some other, maybe it's a family member, who are your five? And of those five, who are you starting to dig down into maybe one or two relationships and really becoming friends with them, so that you have an opportunity to share your story about who Jesus is and what he's done for you to that one. And that you're continually in that cycle. Um, I talked about this the other day on my Facebook Live, so it's like fresh in my mind. That was like, you got to keep that cycle going because that's part of your great commission. And so we see that with Priscilla. We see her constantly meeting new people because she's moving from town to town. Could you imagine moving I mean, she moved like four or five times, and it's crazy. And they started churches. And, and Actually, I can really relate okay. to that. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> we're house sit, so we're constantly moving okay. our tent and, and filling another town. So I can totally relate. So, yeah, to so, so she's always meeting new people and given opportunity to share God's word. And then she's even a mentor, which is, I think is a very important part of being a Christian woman. I believe myself as a Titus woman that I should be teaching the younger, whether that's younger chronologically or in the faith. Priscilla is really my, my example for this because she's, she and her husband are the ones who took Apollos aside when he was just preaching about John the Baptist and saying, hey, we need to tell you about Jesus. She's the one that could pour into Timothy because she's with Timothy a lot. And those are great other leaders in the ch early church that she had opportunity to really speak into and mentor and be friends with. And I think that is just speaks volumes to her character and who she was. So I think that Priscilla, I like Priscilla a lot too. So... <laughs> They're all good. They're all pretty good. Yes, they're all good. And I was realizing that of the 11, well, of the 12, because Proverbs 31, I guess, is in the Old Testament, I've only got three out of the New Testament. And we talked about Lydia and Priscilla tonight, and Martha's the other one. So really, the Old Testament is full, filled with women that we can really pull great 
life principles and business principles out of. So I'm, I'm really excited. Um, we're in the editing phase of this book and hopefully getting it to our publisher by October so that it can come out for Christmas. So that's going to be kind of cool. That's awesome. So just heading back to Priscilla, just quickly before oh, we sorry. move on. <laughs> that's okay. What I, what I kind of got out of it, and I just wanted to raise this because it's something that we've not really spoken about in the podcast much. Um, I try and speak about it at our local meetups when we do get together, and that's um, that they were a unit. So it was a hubby and wife team. And I know that... Um, there's quite a few listeners in this podcast uh, who listen to this podcast and in the community that are a husband and wife team, and you mm-hmm. know you guys do work together. So um, your relationship, I guess, uh, with your spouse is a multiple relationship. So your friends, your lovers, your business par- partners, your parents, if you've got kids, and you know that. That is a massive toll on your relationship and, um, you know, it's super important that when when we do business anyway that we are united with our partner in, in what we're doing and how we're moving forward because um, if we don't, it can play a lot on our marriage and, it and you know, it gives the chance for the devil to kind of get in there and kind of split you guys up and split the household up a bit. So I just wanted to kind of bring to your attention that this is a couple that lived a pretty hard life. Um, and throughout that, what they show us is their unity together as they're doing that and how important it is in the marriage when we're in business for us to be united and for us to have shared goals within within the business, whether you're, you as the the wife have your own business and you know hubby does his own thing or if you are in it together you do need that unity and it is so so important and I just um wanted to encourage you um you know if you if you aren't feeling that unity at the minute um it needs to become a priority um in your life above business because if you guys aren't united and you, you you know you're not together in in the business and in throughout your whole life it's going to be really really hard um so i just mm-hmm. really encourage you and i feel encouraged to pray as well um whoever it is that's listening to the podcast you you need to hear this and you know um we just want to speak life into your marriage and we want to speak prosperity but more importantly we want to speak um, unity. So, dear Lord, I just thank you for this lady or guy who's listening to the show today that um, is struggling in their marriage because they're not united and they're not together. And I just lift them up to you, Lord. And I just pray for your, for you to just, I just feel the rope, the three ropes. There's you, there's your hubby, and there's Jesus. And God is just twining those ropes together and it's so important that you keep twining with with God and keep moving forward in your business with the all the three strands not just your strand because that is going to give you strength to keep going and keep moving on is having a really thick tight rope with God and with your husband so we just pray for unity we pray that um 
If hubby's not understanding the business, for you to enlighten him, Father God, that you would um, give vision, give dreams um, that are united together and that um, you would form a marriage that is stronger than it ever has been before, that their goals will come together, that they will just unite for you in your glory. And we just thank you for this in your precious name, Lord. Amen. So whoever that is, um, take that prayer, take that blessing, go and give hubby a big fat hug, go and do some fasting (laughs) and praying to God and let God do his magic within your marriage and just trust in that. That's cool. Well, that was a bit of a Holy Spirit moment there. <laughs> well, I'm go- I'm actually going to receive all of that as well because, um, you know, for a while, that's I was there. I was there. I remember being there and being so separated from my husband because I thought, you know, I'm doing this for God and my business is my business and blah, blah, blah. And then God stopped me and I really had to bring him into my business. And so I will totally receive that because it's continu- it's a continual process. It's not just that one time that you say, okay, Okay. So I really, I, I first brought him in through the financial part of it, you know, and then, you know, I bring in little by little and, and you know what? God works wonders. Let me tell you, it's changed a lot. And it's so, so I'm, I'm receiving what you said tonight, even because it's a continual process. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's okay. (laughs) No worries. So getting back to your book. (laughs) (laughs) We've had some tangents tonight. We have. (laughs) That's cool. Well, um, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your awesome story um, with us and, you know, just encourage anyone out there that might have um, an illness or whatever that, you know, God's not finished with you yet. <laughs> no, um, he's definitely not. And you know, and and this book is is I feel like is just going to open up another whole door for me and I'm ready to go walk through it. And if something happens, then maybe that's not what I what God has for me, but that's what I feel in my heart because the book not only gives the principles, but it helps to take the woman who does the book through exercises so they can really understand how to live out these biblical principles in their business. And if he doesn't have me coming to Australia to see you, I don't know what, but I, that's, I feel that. And I feel that bigness. And when you are in business with God and he shows you a vision, it's scary. And I hope that everybody that, that has that pull in their heart, that if, if you have that pull in your heart, that don't be afraid of it. Just take that next step, trusting that God's going to open the next door or next window or next opportunity. And that you just have to trust him that it's the right thing to do. So I just, I'm excited. I call the Christian life an adventure. And I totally know that this is an adventure that I did not know was going to happen in the second half century of my life. That's awesome. So you say that your book is nearly done? It's nearly done. We are, like I said, we're in the editing process right now. I have an edit, a great editor, and um, I am planning on getting it to the publisher. I'm doing a hybrid publishing, so it's not a traditional, it's not self, it's kind of in between. And um, we are trying to have it out for Christmas. So hopefully when I get it to him, I will be able to take pre-orders and all of those things. And I will have to set up that all that stuff on my website, right? 
Yeah, that's right. The texter. <laughs> oh, the I know. I got to find awesome. somebody to do that now. <laughs> I had so, where can our listeners, if they want to keep their eye out, um, where where can our listeners find you? Okay. Well, my um, website is called Grow From Your Overflow dot com because you have to grow all kinds of ways to overflow in your life in a good way i'm also on instagram and on facebook i have uh as grow from your overflow and um i have a uh, a group and grow from your overflow you can see me facebook live um tuesdays and thursdays um uh, in the morning at nine o'clock eastern time so i'm there so if you want to see what i look like on video and how i talk and all that stuff and then of course i love linkedin so you can find me at denean troop buitrago i know i have a big long last name denean troop buitrago um but you can see that on my facebook page as well denean troop buitrago and when you go to grow from your overflow that's a little easier to remember so those are all the <laughs> that's okay we'll write it okay on the blog article oh that'll be so good that's cool awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show today and um for sharing um the awesome women that are in the bible and your story it's been absolutely wonderful to hear hear what god's doing wow, and yeah so excited about your book coming out and um we'll keep in contact so uh once the book goes live um we'll let you know um so you can go and find Deneen and and get your your book awesome cool all right that is great thank you so much this has been so much fun I've learned so much from you Sarah Jane I appreciate you so much thank you for having me on your show no worries and thanks for listening listeners so to keep you updated with what is happening in Christian women in business before we leave Oh, my computer's decided to go slow. <laughs> All right, so we have just launched the first Christian Women in Business magazine. Da, 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 da. Yay! It's so exciting. So if you want to get that straight to your inbox, all you need to do is head over to the website www.christianwomeninbusiness.com.au and sign up and we will send that straight to your inbox. God gave us a word um, to encourage, strengthen, and to unite women. And this is one of the aspects that has come from that. So uh, we want to bless you with words and with beauty. And so thanks to our amazing graphic designer, Megan, we've created this beautiful magazine for you to learn and be encouraged in your business. And we are also a month and a half away from the Deborah Conference. Um, so if you haven't heard, we have two awesome uh, business conferences happening this year in Queensland. One is the Deborah Conference, which uh, Marie is organizing and the Christian Women in Business Community Conference that's happening in February 2018. So we've come together and we've partnered to give you a special conference combo. Um, you can find more out about uh, both conferences and to get your ticket for both conferences on the website as well under events. And Marie and I both look forward to meeting you at the conference if you're coming. Um, so go grab a girlfriend and book a girl's weekend away. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being awesome and all that you are doing out there in the world and through your business. 
God can see what you're doing. He's super excited. We are super excited and we can't wait to speak to you next week. Bye for now. Sarah Jane here. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'd love it if you could please share this podcast with your friends. Please rate our podcast on iTunes. And for more information about becoming a member of Christian Women in Business, head over to our website, www.christianwomeninbusiness.com.au. Catch you next time.